Hello, so William Kennedy beginning metal detecting, or just William Kennedy metal detecting, I don't know, with beginning, I know, a YouTube uh, one that I have on there. Um, for my commercials and stuff, I'm going to be switching it up, um, I'm not getting any love from uh, Digger's Den, so I've kind of axed them, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't even want that much, you know, just maybe a digging pouch or digging shovel I don't ask for very much but if you don't want to give me no love that's fine that's that's cool um uh, probably focus on uh you know metal detectors motorcycles motorcycle small engine uh, uh if you guys ride you know if anybody's out there you know ride a dirt bike or whatever like that um I'm gonna do uh <coughs> Uh, tech on that kind of subject um, I'll tie in metal detectors too with it I'm just adding to my podcast doing some brainstorming here what else I can talk about since you guys y'all tune in you know it's not about me it's about you so okay we'll uh, keep on going here on uh, <clears throat> what the pioneers did you know, back in the 1800s for survival, something to eat. Um, here it's uh, making sourdough and traditional and survival bark bread. Now I've never, I've never seen this. I can't, can't imagine if you could uh, take a bark from a tree or something and try to make that stuff soft. I don't know about that. Uh, I just, I, I suppose you could do it. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, uh, and then there's a quote here. There are people in the world so hungry that God can't appear to them except in a form of bread. And that's from uh, Gandhi. If you've ever heard of him, he was the uh, spiritual, um, um, he was a monk. I don't know if he was from India or whatever. He's passed away some years ago, but that was a quote from him. Uh, Modern baker's yeast, as we know today, it did not exist until the eight, uh, late 1800s. Even when it became available, it usually uh, was too expensive for most of the population, and then that's why they preferred to make their own. Housewives and bakers used different types of wild yeast or massive amounts of egg to leaven the bread. Homemade yeast can be made through various ways, like using cops, potatoes, or flour water sugar mixture it could also be made from a distillery uh brahm or brain b b a r m i think it's brahm yeast or sourdough starter unlike modern day yeast the homemade type made with sour um, sourdough takes a uh, long time to rise it usually takes 18 to 12 to 18 hours during the summer and 18 to 24 hours during the winter. Another difference between modern day bread and traditional bread is that the former uses more addictive talk. I got some coffee here so I might need it. Additives. Um, While the latter is a organic as it can be or it can get. Our ancestors passed on Heirlooms varieties of wheats to us 
the most common being a blend of organic spelt, S-P-E-L-T. I'm not sure what that is. <sighs> I got some words. Maybe they used these a long time ago. I... Maybe they're coming back into practice on old stuff becoming new again. Einkork. E-I-N-K-O-R-N. And barley. Sorry, I can't uh, pronounce some of these. It's like... Incork, I think it's called, yeah. <clears throat> I already spelled it out so you guys can figure out what the heck it is. Or maybe Google it or something. I don't know if you can find out what it is. It's learning all kinds of stuff here. But ancestors did a lot of stuff that we don't uh, know about today. We're kind of relearning it, I guess. Aside from making their own bread, people from the 1800s used to plant and harvest their own wheat. The best time to plant winter wheat is during the fall to allow for six to eight weeks of growth before the soil freezes. This also ensures proper root development. Planting the wheat too early makes it vulnerable to summertime insects and smoldering during the spring. It is it is um, planted too late. The wheat will not overwinter well. So I guess wheat does overwinter. I didn't know that. I thought it just um, just died off and they had to plant it again. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm not a farmer, so I wouldn't know that. Maybe most of the farmers that listen to this probably could tell me that. <clears throat> like I said, you learn something every time. But you can never learn everything your whole freaking life because there's so much information out there. Be a lot of hobbies, I guess. Or hobbies, work, slash work, or whatever. On the other hand, spring wheat uh, should be planted as early um, as the ground can be worked in the spring. To grow quality wheat, here are the steps to follow. Make sure to do the initial plow work in the fall. Till in and, and sow in spring uh, and uh, evenly distribute crop is achieved when seeds are divided into two parts one part planted from the east to the west and the other from the north to the south it can be planted in rows cover the seeds by raking the soil over them for best results firm the bed to make a good seed uh, soil contact all through cons um care and attention <clears throat> your wheat your wheat will grow and you'll notice that stalks will turn from green to yellow to brown once the heads are heavy with grain that uh, pulls the top um, top uh, towards the earth it is time you should harvest um, to make sure that your wheat is ready for the kitchen test out a few grains by eating them if it's anything less than firm and crunchy, the wheat is not ready yet. Once you've harvested your wheat, you can convert it into flour by grinding it using a hand crank grinder or wheat grinder. If you don't have one of those, you can always go back to the most basic ways of grinding wheat, which is uh, to use stones or hand grinding.
and the coffee's cooling off. That's okay. I got some more uh, sitting there, and it's hot, so I can heat the heat the cool coffee up. I mean, I'll drink cold coffee, but when I, when the temperature starts to change, I go back to the the um, the hotter coffee, maybe with a donut or a muffin or something, set out the car, or whatever. Just think about what I need to do tomorrow, I guess. Just let my mind wander and more or less do that. Okay, it may take a lot of effort and time, but it advantages that you can control what the texture of the resulting flour will be. <clears throat> How to make sourdough starters. Now that uh, you have your flour, it's time to talk about rising um, agent that most homemade breads used in the early 1800s started sourdough starter materials jar or container with preferably wide mouth openings filter or spring water flour cheesecloth to cover the jar procedure pour one half cup of water one half cup of flour into a jar Mix thoroughly until it feels like uh, <clears throat> thick like pancake batter. I always get the lumps out. Make sure that everything is uh, mixed out. That's kind of how I like you make pancakes. That's kind of the same looks like. The, the consistency looks the same in the pitcher. Even though they're black and white pitchers, there's no color pitchers. So I don't have a, a color printer to do it off of. So I just take it off the internet and... <clears throat> a lot of interesting stuff out there. Cover the jar with cheesecloth. Leave the mixture on a on your counter for 24 hours at the most. Leave the starter by giving it um, one half cup of flour um, and one half cup of water. It needs to reach the proper consistency by now. The start should have um, a few bubbles. Stir again and cover again <clears throat> so there's bubbles and and uh, pieces that haven't dissolved um i usually use a fork a spoon just doesn't um doesn't get it all it's got a spoon in the pitcher i don't know <clears throat> how they can mix that out when the spoon is a little tougher i think i thought i heard a mouse in the mouse trap must be probably warming up outside or something Okay, yeah, depending upon, you know, when I print all this stuff out, it seems like a jet, uh, a jet ink uh, printer is a lot better than a dot matrix because it's usually how I do it. The pictures don't come out really good, so I just use like a black and white printer just with black ink in it. And I just like the printer because it's a lot older. And at one time you were able to fill, refill your cartridges, so... It's the kind that I have, and I can refill these cartridges. I've been using that one for quite a while, but you can still buy them. You know, if the other one goes bad or plugs up or something like that, you know, they they do they do they do plug up definitely. <clears throat> I think it's um, uh, Hewlett Packard. It's an old one from like say '90s or something, maybe 2000s or something. It's an old one. Uh, the next day, the starter should have more bubbles, and the top should look 
uh, almost foam-like. Feed it uh, again like before and repeat step six. Make sure to feed your, your starter every 24 hours once you notice that there is a consistency rise of bubbles. It might not be ready for baking. Uh, how to make tasty bread like in 1869. Now that you have both the flour and sourdough starter as the rising agent, you can go ahead and, and make a completely um, homemade bread. The most common recipe that our great-grandmothers based their decision or their delicious bread on is coffee cup yeast, a little molasses, a teaspoon of salt, and a half teaspoon of soda dissolved in water. Make it as stiff as you can. Be uh, stirred with a spoon. Let it rise overnight and bake about an hour in moderate uh, moderate oven. Uh, they're talking about heat or what? I suppose it'd be just uh, low, low, probably low heat, probably like 150 or something like that, maybe 75, I don't know. I think maybe it's probably 125 in a conventional ovens, but back then they had <clears throat> the wood stove ovens, so they must not have it really hot. Or where they bake in it, I don't even know. Oh, they just let it rise. I, I'm sorry. thought maybe they baked it for a second. So I had to read into that a little bit. Um, this quantity makes one loaf. This recipe is from Mrs. Winslow's Domestic Recipe Book from 1869. A more modern adoption of these recipes follows following ingredients two cups of flour i'm gonna <clears throat> hold up for a break here i'm gonna do something in between so and i was just gonna mention that well you guys metal detect you know i always talk about metal detecting i like all the metal detectors you know don't get me wrong they all have their finer points they all got their weaker points it's what you can afford and what you can learn, you know. Um, not everybody can take a big old, big old detector. It's heavy. It's terrible on the wrist. <clears throat> but it's what you can afford. I'm all about budget. And if I can't afford brand new stuff, I will buy used stuff all day. Because you can always clean it up. And you can always go through it and clean it. Because it can't be that bad. I don't, I don't know. I suppose if you bought one, you know, somebody didn't cover it up with uh, um, a cover or something like that, it would probably scratch the heck out of the uh, LED display and stuff like that. But there's there's remedies for that. I mean, they got <clears throat> several um, ingre or, um, uh, uh, products out there that you can uh, clear out the screen again. You know, um, they have like a number two. Uh, it's kind of like a, a really, really minute sand. Um, and they have things out there to repair, you know, for light covers on cars and stuff. But that might be a little bit harsh for, say, a screen or something like that. And I, I suppose you could take um, uh, a piece of that static type of screen protector 
if say maybe the screen was all scratched up you might be able to just lay that on there somehow and get it to stick you know because <clears throat> I know they have the sticky stuff too and that could probably clear up the screen as long as you got something over the top I suppose but I figure most people would put a cover on them because you know you're out there digging dirt and stuff like that and you got dirt on your machine and stuff and real susceptible to getting uh, screen scratched on your on your detector a lot um, like that uh Usually when I'm out there, I'm always using gloves. <clears throat> and I always have covers on the metal detectors because they are not that expensive to get. They're, they're made overseas and some are made in the United States. You might have to wait a little while to get it. Uh, I've gotten my mine from like um, Ukraine and stuff like that. So it takes a little while to get it. You might have to pay a couple dollars for shipping and stuff like that, but it's not. You're not, not over the top. You may have to compare prices, say, on, on eBay or uh, some of the other um, outlets that you have on the Internet and stuff like that. I usually use eBay quite a bit to get my stuff. I've bought detectors over that, and then I've, I've spent huge amounts of money. I Like the e-track, I, I, can't, I can't spend $1,500 on a brand new one. <clears throat> It's a good detector, don't get me wrong. It's a very complicated detector to use. Um, I still haven't mastered that thing. Um, I just usually run it on FE coins. And then I might open the detector up and just dig everything. I mean, not everybody wants to dig everything, but you never know what's down there. So, And I look at the numbers a lot because it's got like two sets of numbers where other ones like the, um, the Mind Lab... Um, Equinox and the Vanquish and uh, the uh, Technetics Patriot or Technetics uh, Delta 4000. They all got uh, two groups of numbers. I don't know of any of them that have two groups like an E-Track. Um, like I said, it's, uh, it's a complicated detector to work with. But I run, you know, all of them. But anyways, uh, yeah, I just... Um, you know, if you bring your, your your digging pouch out with you, you know, put your coins in one and uh, put your junk in the other because you may go out there again, pick it up, throw it away. Because if you don't do it, somebody else will have to get it for you. So just makes our hobby uh, a little bit better um, for, you know, because people are watching you and you and you're digging proper holes and proper digging techniques and and you're covering your holes back up. I always usually leave a little um, uh, grass in there just so the um, the plug can recharge because then it has some uh, some growth in behind it. I pull it up like a little, you could say like a little hinge or something like that. I don't dig it completely out. I mean, I, I suppose in the woods maybe you could get away with that or something like that because it just gets overgrown by weeds and stuff. But I always do a good job because, you know, somebody could be running and then they trip in it and then they injure themselves. And I don't want that on anybody either. <clears throat> so the uh, I'm doing a motorcycle tech with William Kennedy. So it's like beginning metal detecting with William Kennedy or metal detecting with William Kennedy. Um, but some of you people that might ride bikes out there, uh, 
I don't know how many riders that, that I do have. Um, but if you're out there, that's cool. You know, whatever you ride, like metal detectors, you can only ride what you can afford. I mean, it's nice to get up to the Harleys or, or the old victories that they had. They uh, they discontinued those in 2017. I ride a uh, <clears throat> an O2 uh, uh, Victory V92. It's a uh, uh, 92 cubic inches, and it's... 1507 motor it's a big motor and uh, i've dropped it a couple times so and i've burnt myself really good a couple times but if you wear shorts better make sure you got some leggings or something like that because if you drop your bike you got to pick it up and you got to really watch <clears throat> your legs because i got a good third degree burn and i think i was i had it wrapped up for about a month the other one wasn't too bad Long pants are probably always the way to go, but it gets to be warm and stuff like that, and we don't really think about it. And it depends upon how your exhaust comes out and stuff like that too. So um, just be careful with that. Long pants are always the way to go, I guess. So anyways, uh, it's getting uh, probably around the time for storage, you know, not too long. Uh, I find... um, Jacking your motorcycle is a little bit dangerous, okay? And it's it's okay to leave it, you know, on the ground. You know, I usually use a couple pieces of cardboard to run the bike up on um, so the tires aren't hitting the ground. There's flat spots. I mean, it probably wouldn't hurt the tires at all. But I tend to get some rubber mats or something like that, you know, to run it up on, like, during the summer when I'm not riding it. Um, but... <clears throat> I have a motorcycle jack and stuff like that too, so that aids in the cleaning and stuff like that for the motorcycle. Um, oil, uh, any painted surfaces where your battery is at, check that. Check your connections. Um, and you should be doing that when you're riding and stuff like that too. Make sure you don't. Uh, make sure you got a good connection when you go to start your motorcycle the next time. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting out there with a couple tools and stuff and do a little on, on the roadside repair after you've, uh, when you try to start your bike, when you, you filled it up because you shut it off. <clears throat> so, painted surfaces, you know, I always take like a Q tip or something like that, get some engine paint and go over that. You know, any rusted portions that the paint has uh, came off of. Um, some people have like a trickle charger. I <clears throat> I usually leave the battery in. I have a plug for a trickle charger. I never use it. I just go and put take the cover off anyways and leave it off over all over the winter. And I just run a trickle charger anyways on it periodically, maybe every 30 days. Uh, I don't want to cook the battery out either because my garage doesn't get really cold during the winter i mean if it got really super cold it might uh otherwise it's never probably dropped below 20 in there and i don't even heat it i don't know why it stays so warm in there it might be the uh, insulation that i have in the in the ceiling there it's uh, got foil in there it's the old retro uh, uh insulation with the foil i don't know if they may still make that i probably do <coughs> excuse me so yeah, I get mine off the ground and stuff and just do that and then 
I'll get into the more of the cleaning and stuff uh, this next episode uh, the following Sunday because I'll be back from Duluth here. So um, I'll talk more about that, but just uh, continue with the show here. <clears throat> Podcast, show, whatever you want to call it. I'm here for you people, man. I, I'm, I'm not about me, you know. I'm going to, I'll win in the end, you know, when you guys have a little bit more knowledge, because I'm sure younger people listen to this. Okay, uh, let's see. The ingredients I started with was two cups of flour. Okay, one cup of warm water, one half uh, 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 of a sourdough starter, um, two teaspoons of molasses or whole cane sugar, one teaspoon of salt, Optional half teaspoon of baking powder. Procedure, mix flour and salt in a mixing bowl. Add sourdough starter, molasses, and warm water. Stir until the dough feels wet and sticky. Optional, to remove the sourdough in your loaf, add one or a half teaspoon of baking powder. Mix it thoroughly. Place the dough into a greased nine by five. <coughs> inch uh, bread pan cover the cover with a damp dishcloth or tea towel with a dry towel over it and let let it rise for 12 to 24 hours now that depends <coughs> if it's winter or summer or spring or fall usually that that looks like a uh, a winter one but they probably want it to rise completely out so you know it's risen to the height it's supposed to <clears throat> Once it has risen, the dough should be um, light and fluffy. To make sure, press lightly on the dough. If it dents, it's ready. Bake at 350 for about 40 to 45 minutes. If you don't have a timer, bake the bread until it's golden brown. Tap on the bread, and if it sounds hollow, it's ready for breakfast. Making bark bread. I don't know about this so much. But that doesn't sound good. <clears throat> bark bread is a common form of survival food. Many would ask if the inner tree inner bark is really edible. And the answer is yes. Well, I guess it's not as rough as I thought. It is. It is actually a safe and nutritious wild food as long as you are using the right parts of the bark from the right species of tree. The edible parts of the tree bark is a um, C-A-M-B-L-U-M. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. So I figured I'd just spell it out to you guys. <coughs> you can figure it out. Uh, which lies next uh, to the um, tough inner wood. Edible and safe bark can be be harvested from trees, the most common being pine trees, slippery elm, black birch, yellow birch, red spruce, black spruce, um, balsam fir, tamarack barks are also um, some of the trees that with specific bark you are going to look for. The light inner bark um, of a pine tree is harvested in the spring when the bark is more easily removed from the tree trunk. Another reason why it's best to harvest in the spring is because the vitamin content of the bark is the highest then. Here's how you should harvest and prepare the bark. 
positively identify the tree species because you damn sure don't want to get sick. Um, take only narrow vertical portions of the bark from the tree. Shave off, off the gray outer bark and the greenish middle layer of the bark to get down to the rubbery white or cream colored inner layer. Be careful not to shave too deeply. Looks like the guy's using like a knife or something like that. Or he's, he's doing it <clears throat> in the picture. Um, cut and peel off the whitish rubbery inner bark. Dry the bark in uh, sun or a rack on a, on a flat rock or just like um, the image Looks like it's just uh looks like you just got it laying on another log really. Just kinda dry it out. Uh take a day to dry the bark strips, but that depends on the weather and the bark strip size. You can eat the bark as soon as you as you've harvested it. You can also fry or boil it to make some uh, bark snacks. You can make the flour or can make the bark into flour you only need to uh, to dry it for a day and then um, pour it, it until it um, turns to powder so you can probably put in a grinder but it looks like you have to pound this probably with a wooden wooden mallet or something like that or whatever you have around that's clean you can use a you can use a stone this is a mortar and mill the results will look more like um, oatmeal than um, wheat flour. You can add the bark flour when you are making your breakfast bread, just like how our great-grandparents survived when they went through severe famine. Bark bread is also something that is actually part of their diet. Even during the wars of the 20th century, bark was used to add nutrients to their daily rations. Ingredients, um, 100 uh, grams or 2.5 ounces of yeast, one quart of lukewarm water, one quart of rye flour, 1.5 um, quarts of um, white flour, half cup of bark flour. Procedure, mix all the ingredients in a bowl, stir thoroughly, set aside to raise for an hour, knead Kneading the results need from the mixture, allow um, 45 minutes for an hour for it to rise. Um, roll out into small rounds before baking, sprinkle with water. Baking time will vary depending upon the size of the bread. For medium sized bread, the size of pita bread, bake for 10 minutes at 425. Alternatively, you can cook bread over hot coals as long as you turn them occasionally. Okay, that's it for this one. Um, and it didn't last an hour. I wasn't trying to speed through it because I was looking at the clock and I was like, darn. I was like, I better hurry up. So, anyways, uh, hopefully you're all back to work because, uh, Nobody, nobody wants to wear these darn masks anymore. I, I don't know. We're just going to have to play the game. That's, that's pretty much it. And this is why I put these things together. 
is because we're coming out of it, but if you can listen to this and it's an alternative to what you you see at the stores and stuff like that, you know, I go to the store, I wear my mask, I do my thing, I get the heck out of there. Because if I can, if I don't have to wear it, I'll just go home and I'll sit at home. Uh, usually I don't stay in the stores, the convenience stores, gas stations or any of that stuff. I just go right into my car and I know I can take that darn mask off because I've heard... Well, where I live, I've heard some people getting fined because people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I darn sure don't want to pay $100 or whatever it is. Might be 75 or whatever have you. I'm not sure. So I'll just keep going on these. Um, this for a while, and then I'll maybe jump into something else. Maybe um, y'all stay on the... Try to talk about the metal detecting, try to talk about motorcycles, small engine repair, all that stuff. Because like I said, I'm not getting any love from place down in Tennessee. So um, it's it's fine. You know, I can always get on a different topic. I mean, I've been I've been riding motorcycles for 30 years. I, I started out with uh, a 360 Yamaha and this uh, the the one I've got now, it's the biggest one I've ever had. I mean, I, you know, I had 1200s for a couple, couple of years there, you know, <clears throat> the gold wing, 85 gold wing. And then I had a, an O2, um, Harley Sportster. I'll never buy Harley again. I mean, they're, they're fine. They're fine. It's just, some of them you just can't take on long rides because your teeth will fall out, especially when you, if the engine's rigid mounted into the frame and it, transmits right up through your arms and stuff i feel like i have a carpal tunnel i mean my my wrist literally went to sleep i had to i had to go to the side and kind of shake it off you know and then get back on a ride or something like that i won't i won't ride anything like that long distance maybe around here or something like that you know but the one i've got um going on for uh, uh for the winter time is a 73 honda which I got from my father-in-law. I repainted the whole frame, took the engine out. The engine didn't need to be um, redone. It only had 18,000 miles on it. So I'm saving that one for the winter time. That's how I do it. And then I just run a, um, a jet heater and I put number two diesel in the um, jet heater. Um, I keep the garage cracked a little bit. I'll shut it off because it does get pretty warm in there. It's, it's blowing 150,000 BTU on a thing so you don't want that blowing right on you man get too close it'll burn your pants right off i'll tell you it's uh that disc on the front gets really freaking uh red but depends upon you know how long you use it for because it sucks through the diesel fuel pretty quick i'm supposed to use kerosene with it but diesel fuel is very close to kerosene it's a little cheaper so for any of you motorcycle riders out there, if you do your own work or something like that, because it's so expensive taking your bike in. And that's what they have YouTube for. I, I've done so much off of YouTube. You know, if you're, if you're okay working with your hands and, and sometimes you have to break stuff to learn how to fix it. That's what I've run into um, in the past. You know, I've always fixed it, of course, you know. Um, but there's a ton of stuff. And if you have the patience to do it, I mean, it's it's huge. You just appreciate your motorcycle so much more. So, okay, well, until the next, uh, next podcast next Sunday.
Um, we'll do another one. And we'll stay on the same topic, and I'll be talking about metal detecting and motorcycles. Just kind of change it up here. So until the next time, stay safe, be good. Bye-bye.